Well, let's start with a little scenario, you know, and, and how it occurred. And of course, I'm uh, almost 70 and I've been in the industry for 50 years and I drive all the time all over the country and I have clients everywhere and uh, consider myself a pretty good driver and a conscientious driver. I train people on how to drive and we help write programs on driver safety and stuff like that. And uh, on September 2nd, <clears throat> just before Labor Day, the Friday before Labor Day, early in the morning, we were uh, heading toward Georgia on a family trip. And uh, we were pulling a U-Haul trailer, uh, delivering some furniture and stuff uh, for the family. And uh, down the road, about two football fields away, I saw a car off the side of the road. Uh, uh, there was a car width shoulder. He was halfway off the shoulder and the right side tires were in the grass. And uh, as I was approaching him, I could see he had his right turn signal on, so he just must have just pulled off of the road down there. And I eased over a little bit, about a half a lane. And uh, 50 yards away, he pulled a hard left turn and pulled into the interstate highway. And we hit him uh, traveling at 70 miles an hour, pulling a 4,000 pound trailer. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a pretty big impact. Uh, my wife said it was the understatement of the year. All I had, to, all I could say was, uh-oh, just before we hit him. But <clears throat> I started, and you know, I'm an analyst and uh, we research incidents and uh, we do investigations, uh, we do litigation support. Uh, we're experts at the, you know, the power line industry. And uh, because I'm an analyst, of course, I started analyzing, you know, toward the end of the day. Uh, the first part of the day was taken up with uh, 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 surviving because uh, the truck caught fire and uh, uh, we lost consciousness several times, uh, you know, during that process. I remember uh, being awake when we were sliding backwards and I was thinking, well, at least we're not upside down. My wife is next to me, you know, in the, uh, you know, in the seat. and. Uh, uh, and then we came to a stop, and I thought, every, you know, rescuers were there, right there when we came to the stop, but I'd really been unconscious for several minutes. And uh, door opened, uh, a rescuer said, truck's on fire, you got to get out, undo your seatbelt. And I could look through the broken windshield and I could see the flames in the engine compartment and the black smoke. And uh, I said, get the women out first. My sister-in-law was in the back seat and both of them were unconscious and the truck was on fire. I was pretty confident that I could get away, you know, if I had to. And uh, so we went through the whole thing, the extraction, the fire department rolled up in less than the national average time. They got the fire put out. I don't remember that because I was unconscious again. And uh, the next time I came to, there was two firefighters that were helping me out of my truck. And I walked over and sat on the fender of the U-Haul trailer that was jackknifed against the back of my truck. It completely destroyed uh, the truck and of course the fire, you know, fire that started. And uh, Gwen, my wife, was, uh, and Sonia were both airlifted to New Orleans to a Trauma One Center. And uh, I went to the local uh, hospital because I essentially walked away from the crash. And uh, in the hospital later that day is when I started to analyze what happened. And I just had one very clear thought. And this is what I write about in the article. <clears throat> When I first started my professional career, I was uh, I had gone to the academy and I was in the sheriff's department and I was a sheriff's deputy. And uh, in the academy, 
uh, we took those big Crown Vicks with those 428 Cobra Jet Police Interceptor engines and we ran on skid pads. Uh, the purpose was to learn how to handle a heavy vehicle in emergency conditions. And we also had uh, a chase uh, track where our instructor, we were to chase our instructor, you know, with those big Crown Vicks. And one of the, th the things that we learned was how that vehicle performs at that weight and at these speeds and in these emergency conditions. And we also learned about where to hit things and where not to hit things. And one of the important takeaways was that hit them in the front and the car will spin away. You never want to hit one in the middle because now all four tires are working against you and it'll increase your impact. And that's I remember calling, recalling that's exactly what I thought. I got to hit him in the wheels, hit him in the front tires. So I, I was a half a lane over when he came over and I don't know if he stopped in my memory of what happened. All I see is focusing on the front wheels, you know, of, the, of that uh, RAV4 is what, you know, is what it was and that's where I hit him. But we hit him at a very slight angle which set off the airbags on the right side of the pickup truck which helped to protect uh, my wife on the, you know on the inside and um, and of course later on I started thinking more and more about that training and it just amazed me that I recalled that now I spent two years as a sheriff's deputy and we did chases you know and all the other kind of stuff that goes with it but I never really put a whole lot of value against it you know we just knew we were better drivers than they were and it was because of training I started thinking about uh, in the work that we do now in consulting for utilities, we do a lot of consulting on incidents and the kind of things that happen and we help utilities uh, develop uh, programs uh, where they have deficiencies. And one of the things that has happened over the years, especially during storm time, is that we have a lot of crews that perform great, they do a wonderful job while they're doing a restoration and then on their way home, something happens and they have a wreck and a lineman dies. And over the course of my career doing investigations, I've done several uh, 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 big truck in, uh, you know, crashes, and, th and some of them were fatal. And the ones that were fatal had to do with an unseat belted driver. And we have an issue in our industry is that I think it has something to do with your personal perception of the relative danger. You're in a big truck up in the air above everybody else. And we simply don't see that as having a risk to it, but they don't know what happens when a big truck like that gets out of control. And in the analysis of each of these crashes that occurred, and in one in particular, there was a, a seat belted passenger and that, uh, that survived the crash. And when I talked with them about the crash, he looked over at the driver and the driver was up over the steering wheel with his head and his shoulders and his back up against the roof of the truck because they got off of the highway and simply don't realize how radical that ride is going to be. And if that happens and you're not seat belted in behind that steering wheel, nobody's controlling anything. And now you're at the mercy of the kinetic energy and the dynamics of the truck that's moving. Now in our personal vehicles, our personal vehicles get tested by the Federal Highway Administration and the Insurance Institute and they test our car crash worthiness at 45 miles an hour. We hit at 70 miles an hour. Seat belts and crash systems are not tested at 70, but these worked perfectly. And I had one of my sons went back to recover the equipment out of the total truck. And he opened the doors and took video of everything. And one of the things that stood out to me was the exact same thing that we see 
in these truck crashes, there is a survivable space in that cab. Now, the Highway Institute and the insurance industry don't test big trucks. The ones that we use, the F-350s, the F-550s, uh, uh, well, for Ford, and not in particular Ford, but all of the big trucks that we use that make up our digger derricks and our bucket trucks, those cabs don't get crash tested. But they do test them in Europe. And so the designers that build these trucks have been using a lot of that information from these European tests. And what we find is that these crashes do have a survivable space. The reason why our workers don't survive is because they don't stay in that survivable space. They're ejected or they roll around on the interior of the vehicle and they receive fatal injuries because they weren't you know, locked in. So I've been aware of that for quite some time, but in this case, our seat belts, the airbags, and the crush design of that Ford F-150 that we were driving ensured that the cab stayed intact and our seat belts and that crash system, those airbags, kept us in that survivable space. And the trooper that investigated and he was talking to me and he said, I've been doing this for 20 years and I've never seen a crash like this where somebody didn't die at the scene. We didn't die at the scene. And we didn't die at the scene because of the crashworthiness of that vehicle, but it wouldn't have made any difference at all if we hadn't been seatbelted in. And <clears throat> seatbelts make a difference. And I'm hopeful that when people read this article, uh, when I close the article that, uh, in UFP and in Incident Prevention Magazine, I close the article and it says, uh, are you satisfied with your driver's records? And, and why is that? Is it because of luck? And I point out to him, your luck can run out. So we want to make that point. That survivable space is only survivable if you're seat belted in, in place. So we want those drivers to recognize that and use this as an opportunity to get that message out. Mm -hmm.